This is the message for Sunday, September 23rd, 2018. Colossians, Be Holy, given by Bonnie Seaman, Director of Youth and Family Life. Good morning. Today we're talking about holiness, and holiness can kind of sound a little church word, churchy kind of word or a little intimidating. Priscilla Shire goes on in that clip in her sermon to explain that she considers holiness to be defined as right-side-up living, creating an environment in our life where the light of God shines and the Spirit of God can flourish. As uh, Carrie shared, my name is Bonnie Sieben. I'm the director of Youth and Family Life here at Connection. I'm honored to be talking to you this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, thank you that you are here. Thank you that you have a word for each of us this morning and that you are at work in our lives. We pray you would settle us in and open up our hearts to hear your truth this morning, that we would be changed and transformed, not by the power of my words, but by the power of your words. In Christ's name, amen. So as you know, this month we've been studying the book of Colossians. Two weeks ago, we looked at Colossians 1, and we explored the topic of how Christ rules, and Jesus has authority over all of the heavens and the earth. Last week, we took a look at chapter 2, where it directs us to be rooted, to stand firm in our faith, and to root down into the scripture and prayer so that we would be able to stand against storms in life. This week, we take a look at the call in chapter 3 to be holy. Holy often described as being set apart or dedicated for God's purposes. Before we get to chapter 3, in the first two chapters, Paul has laid out an argument or apologetics arguing the authority and truth of Jesus. My favorite lines are Colossians 2, 14 and 15, where it says, He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. I don't know about you, but this makes me think of a really good superhero movie. That ending scene where, like, the city is kind of really, like, smashed up, but that hero has saved the day, saved the world, and defeated all of the things that were coming against them. Paul paints such a vivid picture of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, and we don't do it justice, and we're like, oh, yeah, Jesus died on the cross. No, He canceled the law that stood against us. He took our sin that divided us from God, and he overcame the rulers of this world, reuniting us with God in the forgiveness of our sins. I mean, that's superhero, powerful movie kind of stuff, not like, oh, yeah, whatever, kind of stuff. So we arrive today in Colossians chapter 3, not to receive our, like, get-to-heaven checklist, And not so that we can look at the person next to us and say, I mean, I've got it way more together than you. Um, You know, no, we arrive in Colossians 3 with a call to respond to that amazing triumph of Jesus and the authority that he has in our lives in heaven and in this world. We're invited, instructed, to align our lives to God's word. That transformation is always a response to God's immense love and ultimate victory. 
As we get to Colossians 3, 1 through 4, it reads, Since then, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, I'm an English teacher, and we notice transitions, and, and I think that we can't go forward without noticing since. Since is a big word. This is one of those, like, bold letter words. Since we are raised with Christ, we're told what's to be the center of our lives. We can't just start with the checklist. We've got to go back and say, since Jesus did all of this, I'm going to respond with my life. Our actions are a response to God's actions. We set our hearts and our minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now that does sound very spiritual and poetic. What does that look like? On Tuesday morning, when I'm late to work, my kids are whining, the washer's broken, I spilled coffee on my last clean shirt, and it just feels like there's this complete chaos going on around me. I don't know about you, that's kind of the reality of, we'll go with some, probably closer to most, of my days. Sometimes that reality of our daily life is on a collision course with that call from God, and we have to be really careful because what we can do is we can start getting so focused on that day-to-day grind, that daily to-do list, that we forget where we're supposed to be setting our hearts and minds. And the thing is, is that in those moments when things are most chaotic, that's when it's most important to set our heart and set our mind and know that we have an eternity view and not a momentary view. For me, this looks first like daily reading scripture in the mornings. And I know, I know, we hear this all the time. Read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. I mean, there's a reason we say it a lot around here, right? Uh, I have to set my mind. I have to set my mind on things above each morning by revisiting the truth in scriptures. There is just too much noise. There is too much noise in the world competing for space in my mind to think I can just read the occasional daily scripture verse and be all right. I need to align my thinking to God's thinking. And to do that, I need to know what God thinks and continue to remember what God thinks. For me, it also looks like worship music in the morning. Uh, you know, I, I might set my mind with scripture, but I'm really setting my heart with worship and prayer um, and listening to, script, listening to worship music as I get ready, as I drive in my car, so that by the time my day is starting, my heart and my mind are set on things above. And maybe you're thinking, well, it's a whole lot easier when you work for a church. I mean, the truth is not, it's not really any easier now than it was at any other point in my life. It's still a decision and a discipline to do something that I know is good for me, even if there's something else that looks more appealing at the time. Looking back, for 12 years, I worked at Delaware Tech in Dover. I chaired their English department, and, and at that time, I oversaw about 40 full and part-time faculty members and about 1,700 students enrolled in, in courses that I was personally overseeing. Any given day, my text messages started at 6 a.m., my emails started even earlier, and they went well into the evening. In the midst of that, I had three and five-year-old boys who I was raising, and I also had, you know, a husband and a home to care for. 
it would have been very easy to focus on earthly things. There was always a problem to solve. There was always an issue to address. There was always one more email to respond to and one more item on the to-do list. And some days, I fell into that trap. You know, and sadly, some weeks, I probably fell into that trap. But it is a lie we tell ourselves if we believe that we are at our best when we live with our hearts and our minds focused on that day-to-day -day grind, insisting that there just, like, isn't time for God. When my career and family life is at its most hectic, I can still be at peace. And see, it's not just because I'm inviting God to walk with me, kind of the center of the universe, my priorities, and my daily wants, but it's setting my heart and my mind on him and choosing his priorities. I'm not now, and nor have I ever been, perfect at this, and it shows. You know, those days that I don't intentionally really set myself up to know who I'm thinking about first and foremost in the day, I'm anxious, snappier, quicker to judge, you know, really bottom line, just more like me, centered and focused. Thinking back again to when I was working at Delaware Tech, running a department while there was kind of like toddlers running at my feet, I could tell the difference on days that started focused on God. I looked to scripture for difficult times. I had prayed before difficult meetings. I intentionally kind of walked that day with the Lord. So while life swirled around me, and my house was frequently messy, my office was almost always messy, might have been frozen pizza for dinner two nights in a row, um, you know, but in the middle of that chaos, I could be grounded. I could still be set on things above because there was an eternity view, not a momentary view. We are so prone to wandering to getting overwhelmed and creating this whole other list of priorities that don't line up with God's. It is a spiritual discipline. I mean, I know we don't like that word. We're grown-ups. Like, we don't need to be disciplined anymore. No, it is a spiritual discipline, something we have to practice to give time each day to setting ourselves on the right course. Since, guys, that word since we are raised with Christ, we are called, really told, to set our hearts and our minds on God throughout the day. And we can't do this if we never take our eyes off the to-do list. And so before we move into the next part of Colossians, ask yourself, where are you setting your heart and mind each day? Are there areas where you're getting fixed on your own priorities, putting them above and rather than God's priorities? It's an important question. It's one we've got to pause and think about. Because if we don't do that, we are going to get so caught up in everything else that we're never going to get in that alignment with God's word. After telling us where to set our hearts and mind, Paul gets really specific in how we should conduct ourselves in this world. And you know, I don't know about you, I appreciate that. Like, I like a big picture plan as much as anybody else. But at the end of the day, tell me what to do. Tell me what needs to get done. I want to know what's expected of me. So Colossians 3, 5 through 10, he gets specific. Put to death, put to death 
Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since, since, you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. I mean, this is quite a list. You talk about getting specific. Uh, this is quite a list, but it was very interesting. In the Youth Summer Series, Zach Ziff, who's one of the seniors here in, in the congregation and part of the youth program, he pointed out something I found very insightful. He pointed out that these lists actually seem to be two separate lists that address how to live out the two greatest commandments that Jesus gave us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And we look at that first list where it tells us to put to death sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. And we look at those things, those are the things that become idols in our lives. Those are the things that we start to place above God. And we can't, we can't love God fully when we're giving in to the momentary desires and letting them control us. And the, the thing is that this list of desires, they will control us for far more than a moment. The trouble with each of these things is that when we feed them, they consume us and they draw us entirely away from our call to love God. I mean, put to death. Put to death is very strong language. God is not messing around here. Bottom line, the answer is there's not an acceptable amount of idolatry. There's just not an acceptable amount of this thing is more important to me than my call to love God. The second list seems to address how we treat others in order to love our neighbors as ourselves. We're instructed to get rid of anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lies. See, loving our neighbor starts with eliminating these things and how we treat each other and conduct ourselves in relationship to one another. It is so much easier, it is so much easier to let go of anger, gossip, and lies when we remember who God is in our lives and that the person we're contending with is just as loved by God as we are. We want to love our neighbors as Jesus calls us to do. This list is a great place to start. It shows us how we start to conduct ourselves in relationship, but it's not where it ends. It tells us to, what to remove, but Colossians goes on to tell us what to put in its place. Colossians 3, 12 to 15 shares, Therefore, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. See, again, we see that language, why we're doing that right now. We have therefore. Therefore, we can't forget 
our motivation. And when we do, we start to think it's about us and we're, we're good and we're better than the person next to us and we've got it together. Our response, our actions are in response to God's love, God's power working in us. We can love others unconditionally because we have received the unconditional love of God. We can extend forgiveness for the unforgivable because we have received that type of forgiveness from God. We begin to really grow spiritually when we start to take on and clothe ourselves in these characteristics, even when dealing with individuals who will never return it to us in kind. I mean, anybody can love the lovable, right? We experience God's power stretching us and working in us in new ways when we operate in kindness and humility and patience and forgiveness with everyone in our lives, not just the easy ones. And it continues to go back to the senses and therefores and remind us that we can do this because God has done it first in us. Here's the thing. When we see lists like this, there's a danger that we can fall into thinking that Christianity is all about do's and don'ts and checklists and rules. That God's kind of taking away our freedom. We just sang earlier, God, thank you for setting us free. And and we can start to think, well, he didn't set me free. He gave me a whole list of things to do. Uh, But Colossians 3.15 follows this set of instructions up by saying, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. We were set free for a life of peace. We were set free to walk in peace with God. Isn't this what we want? Peace with God and peace with others. Freedom from the hurt and the negativity that comes from living outside of God's plan for our lives. As we set our hearts and our minds on things above and we center our lives in holy living, we gain that peace. See, holy living is it's, it's not It is not a negative consequence of knowing God, okay? It's not something we get, like, stuck with when we come to faith. Um, It is the opportunity to understand how to really walk in peace. Look at these two lists for a second. Just pause and read over. I mean, when I look at that first list, the things we're to eliminate, I mean, when you just read that list, it ties my stomach up in knots just thinking about living in that and choosing it every day. Do we want to live in that negativity and pain? When we accept God's call to holy living, we are being gifted with the freedom to have a roadmap to peace, peace with others, peace with God, peace in our own hearts and minds. As we receive that truth of Jesus, we understand his victory, his triumph, and we commit to following him we realize that we cannot always control the circumstances. I mean, we all have circumstances in our life that are not our favorite, right? We cannot control the circumstances. But we can decide what kind of environment we're going to create in our lives. We can create an environment of peace where the things of God can flourish. Thinking back to that boat with Priscilla Priscilla Shire's story, are you living upside down? lives, walking out of alignment with the Word of God, when we do, we create an environment where critters start to creep up. Probably not frogs, hopefully not literal snakes, but doubt, 
resentment, jealousy, selfish ambition. See, but the thing that's so awesome about holy living is that when we turn that boat over and we let the light of God shine in our lives and we give the freedom for the Holy Spirit to work through us and in us by lining our choices up to the directions we receive from God in Scripture, when we do that and our boats are right side up, we create an environment where the things of God can flourish and doubt gives way to faith and resentment gives way to support jealousy, that jealousy, I don't know people are so prone to jealousy, jealousy gives way to encouragement, and selfish ambition, that wanting to raise our own names up, selfish ambition gives way to the desire to see God's name glorified, however we can make that happen. So how is your boat today? Where are you seeing critters starting to creep around in your life? Some things that don't belong there. We have to remember that holiness is not a one-time decision. It's not a special event. It's not like, oh, I did it, now I'm done. It is daily lining our lives up with God's purposes, day in and day out, even putting them above our own, and it is a discipline. Is your boat upside down in an area, maybe a few areas of your life? It is not too late. God is saying to you, he is inviting you today to walk forward in holiness in new ways and commit to setting your eyes daily on him. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you give us this invitation that you don't want to leave us in a life of turmoil and uncertainty, but that you invite us into a life of peace and fullness and holiness being set apart that you work through us for your glory. Work in our hearts this morning, convict us and lead us, and show us how to better line our lives up with your truth. We invite you here in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast. For more information about Connection Community Church in Middletown, Delaware, please visit our website at justshowup.church. You can also call our church offices at 302 378 7692. Connection Community Church, connecting people with Jesus and the life he offers.